Hello everyone, and welcome to the Angry Sun Zone. This week we've got some games we've been playing recently, uh, including some games that uh, we've finished and seen the ending of. And we're going to talk a little bit about that at the end of the podcast, where we discuss game endings and some things we like about them, things we dislike, and a few examples. Uh, and then, uh, but before that, we're going to get in on some games we've been playing recently. And so, as always, I'm Alex. I'm Sato. And I'm Matt. And I'll start us off uh, with a game I've been playing recently that arguably I've been playing for many years, uh, which is Tetris. Specifically, Tetris Effect. Connected. I don't know if the connected part is actually a meaningful moniker. I think it might be just what they tacked on when they finally added multiplayer. Yes, that is the meaning. Yeah, so uh, I really like... I really liked Tetris Effect, and it's Tetris. I've always liked Tetris. Tetris is a hard puzzle game to beat. It's one of the classics for a reason. Yeah, it's. I'd go so far as to say Tetris is one of the few games I would say is a perfect game. Like, I can't imagine, like, the core of that game being any better than what it is. It's just, it is what it is, and it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, like it's it's such a tight feedback loop. Like it can get as difficult as you want it to be. It can be relaxing. It can be intense. You know, it can be kind of any like it, it fulfills a vast spectrum of like what you actually want out of a puzzle game. It can be played single player or multiplayer too. Yeah, I I played both in Tetris Effect Connected. I really like the music in Tetris Effect. That's probably I think the main thing they were going for with this particular edition. Uh, big music and big particle effects and mm -hmm. the music's really actually well done because each stage has the music change as you go through it uh, in particular in the you know single player journey mode and it's basically a series of stages with differing difficulties and the difficulty might change throughout the stage so you might the stage might start out kind of slow slow speed and the music starts slow, and then the music gets intense, and the difficult the speed of the blocks falling increases. And then it might slow back down after the game has like pushed you into stacking up a massive stack of uh, tetrominoes that you can't actually clear very easily. And then it's and then it like you know brings it back, dials it back down, and you're able to kind of clear it out and move to the next stage. But the way that the music has been made is in a way where the sound effects of rotating blocks and dropping blocks and it, it, and etc like rotating drop rotating dropping and uh, just moving left and right all have like a slightly different sound effect and the sound effect is matching the music of the stage and it's really it's a really cool sort of a touch. My favorite stage is this space-themed stage. You start out inside like an what looks like to be an airlock on a space station or something like that, and then you move out into like a space station overlooking a planet, probably Earth. I don't know. And then the space station slowly is constructed over the course of you, you know, clearing lines on this stage and every time you reach a line clear marker that changes the sort of difficulty rating of the stage it 
also changes the music slightly and the background and particle effects and all this stuff. And it's, it comes together in kind of a cool package. Uh, it's still Tetris. Like, the game is not any different than basically Tetris has been for a while now. There's some additional fe quality of life features, like there's a uh, block. You get to see the next four blocks. You get to hold a block. It's got a new mechanic called the zone mechanic where you build a meter, and when you activate it, you pause the game briefly, and cleared lines go to the bottom of the stage, and you can get, like... You can get bigger multiplicative bonuses, basically, while in this mode, because you can clear... You can clear all the way up to every single line of the stage in a single, like, zone... Uh, zone mechanic trigger. Mm. So that... It's, I think they call it like a perfectress. <laughs> so, oh, like good. A, so like, you know, classic Tetris, you know, you get a Tetris, that's you cleared four lines at once. But now it goes all the way up. And so you can get like an Octoris, which is clearing eight lines at once. <laughs> or, you know, again, all the way up to clearing every single line on the stage at, at once, effectively. Very difficult. I haven't actually been able to do that yet. But it's kind of a cool... It's, it's a cool little addition. I don't think that that has been in any previous ones. It, it's ultimately a fairly minor tweak to the formula, though. Except in multiplayer, where when you trigger this zone mode, you actually attack your enemy or your opponent. You attack your opponent in, like, you know, Tetris attack, where lines go on their side of the field, and you are able to uh, send more lines to their side of the field when you clear lines using the zone mechanic in one of the multiplayer modes. They also have a more uh, classic multiplayer mode that's just score-based as well. So they've got a few different modes in multiplayer, and they've got a bunch of different single-player modes. Uh, there's some weird modes like Master Tetris, where the blocks spawn um, at the height of your highest line on the field. What? It's Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty weird. It's super hard. Yeah. <laughs> because you don't have time to actually really move the blocks into the right position. And, like, the block might spawn in a place where you literally cannot move it to the other side of your field. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy, and I see why they call it Master Tetris. Because <laughs> it's, it's basically, at that point, just a reaction time game of the game has just dealt me a terrible terrible play uh, position how do i like rotate this block into position mm -hmm. like that it's ba it basically makes the entire game about just the uh rotation mechanic abuse yeah <laughs> which is kind of funny um it's the t-spin game <laughs> yeah basically it just turns it into in the t-spin game so it's yeah it's it's pretty cool um it's it's tetris with fancy graphics and cool sound effects and cool music basically the only the only thing that the game does not have that i'm kind of surprised it didn't have or maybe it does and it's just like a secret is a level with the classic tetris theme any of them yeah i was gonna ask if it had a remix of any of those classic themes yeah and it doesn't and i'm i'm really kind of disappointed just because it is tetris and the tetris theme so iconic that a tetris game without it feels like just wrong right like the music is great but i am 
I'm very surprised. I was really expecting like maybe the final level in the journey mode to have like a little bit of a classic Tetris theme remix at least, if not the OG. But like I said, it's possible that there is a level with the classic Tetris theme in it that is actually like an Easter egg kind of unlock. I don't actually know because the game has so much um, content. Like it's got a lot of like weird modes and it's got a lot of unlocks and achievements. And frankly, I'm not actually that good at Tetris. <laughs> like it's fun. I like it. Uh, but I'm really not that good. I, I was able to beat the, you know, journey mode on normal difficulty, but I probably could not beat it on hard without, frankly, more practice than I'm willing to put into it. Hmm. And I tried playing online and I just get roasted. I can occasionally, online, it's best of, uh, best of three. So first of two wins. And sometimes I'll get one win out of the, th- out of the three games. I, I never, I've occasionally won a match, but like the last time I tried playing, I was like, oh, I'm just going to play until I get one win. And I played for like an hour and keep in mind, uh, a Tetris attack match is usually only a couple of minutes. Right. It doesn't last very long because typically, you know, one person just gets a bunch of line attacks on the other person that they can't clear and it, it, it doesn't really, unless you have like really good players that are actually able to tamp that down, which I'm not. Uh, so at, in the lower ranks, I think people just lose pretty quickly, one or the, one person or the other. Mm. And it, it does not, yeah, I went like an hour or two hours without a single like match win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that. And I kept ranking down and there just aren't enough people in the matchmaking to like have a stable sort of ranking system so sometimes i would be getting matched with players that are like double my rank and it's <laughs> like masters e- e- wow yeah so anyway overall though great it's a it, it's a fun it's a fun try it's on i tried it because it was on xbox game pass and uh it's definitely worth trying if you like tetris and you have that um not sure if it's worth buying unless you really like tetris if you've never played Tetris, you should definitely play Tetris. Uh, it doesn't matter which version you play. They're all basically the same core concept. Mm-hmm. If you've got Nintendo Switch online, you've got Tetris 99 for free. Yeah, I completely <laughs> forgot about that when I like used my free month. I'm pissed because I love Tetris. I, I, I've managed one win in my uh, Tetris nice. 99 career. It, it's not easy. And I can only imagine now it's like, just all pros left at this point. Well, I think in Tetris 99 they added like another hopper for like hard mode, or right? Right. To try yeah. And get around. Once that. you get a win, you do unlock a uh, another mode that's only for people who have gotten a win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but it's worth mentioning that the Tetris effect is um, directed by uh, Tetsuya Mizuguchi, and he his previous works include Res. Uh, Child of Eden and uh, Luminez and Meteos. So he's got like a lot of experience with puzzly stuff and, you know, kind of like audio visual experiences. So. Could it be the highest budget Tetris game? I wouldn't be surprised um, simply because the amount of like graphical and uh, musical art assets in the game 
it's it's quite a lot. I mean, there's there's probably like three dozen different levels, and they all have you know a, a soundtrack. Some of them have vocal soundtracks as well. And again, each soundtrack actually has a progression of I'd say at least three to four different like kind of. Uh, like the music ensemble sort of like comes in slowly to match the uh, progression of the level as you're clearing lines and the difficulty changes. So I would not be surprised if it's the high, highest budget Tetris game. If only because a normal Tetris game is so hilariously low budget that, you know, one person could make it. I think the original Tetris was literally just one guy. Yeah. And fundamentally, the formula is the same. Because, like Santo said, the game's perfect. You can't really you can't really improve on it. You can just tweak it a little bit. And most of the tweaks to Tetris over the years have really just been to make it a little bit a little bit easier and more forgiving. Well there was also Tetris DS and that had a bunch of different modes in it, like the like the touch mode, which was kind of its own thing. Um, the push one competitive one where like you shared the same base and like as you cleared lines the base went closer to the other person's uh side and it was just like one gigantic well like that one was really cool that's kind of yeah that's kind of cool i think i remember that there's also poyo poyo tetris which merges poyo poyo and tetris and that gets weird Oh, actually, there was one other mode I didn't mention, a multiplayer mode called Tetris Connected or something, or maybe it's just Connected Mode. And the way that works is that it's sort of cooperative against an AI. So it's 3v1, so three players online versus an AI. And the AI is like a boss, per se, that has special ability triggers. So it'll like make your blocks drop, or it'll make your blocks... Uh, frozen, so you like can't rotate them, or you know various other sort of interesting sort of tweaks uh, for like a couple of uh, line drops. And the other thing though is that when everyone when everyone's shared zone meter builds up, the three players that are you know on the same team, their Tetris fields link up into one Tetris field, and then your goal is you know to clear shared lines across all three fields yeah that's crazy yeah and it's you know it's it's a pretty cool mode um it's i would say probably more fun if you were playing with friends but i don't know i I haven't haven't tried that yet Mm -hmm. i was just playing with randos online but it it was kind of a it was was a cool mode i'd I'd recommend trying it if you end up picking up Tetris Effect. Also, since it's cooperative, you don't have to worry about getting completely dominated in online multiplayer. (laughs) All right, so you you cleared that. Uh, Been playing anything else? Um, Yeah, I've also been playing Tunic, and Tunic is a lot of fun. I really like Tunic. Uh, I would recommend it, but I would recommend it with a bit of a caveat that I think Tunic is for a very specific audience, uh, specifically, Tunic is basically a Zelda game. And then with a bit of uh, Dark Souls uh, inspiration as well, uh, they've cribbed a few sort of aesthetic choices directly from Dark Souls, like your save points or campfires. Mm-hmm. And um, 
you you have to like ring some tower bells, which apparently is a Dark Souls, like yep. literally the first mission in Dark Souls. Yeah, uh, and it's the first thing you are not quite told, but kind of told to do in Tunic. Well, you're the same thing in Dark Souls. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so the thing about Tunic is that Tunic is basically trying to ape the experience of playing like an older 2D top-down Zelda game uh, as it sort of would have been at the time. So what what does that mean? Well, it means there's an instruction manual, right? And you actually like find pages of it as you progress through the game. And a big part of the game of Tunic is actually just figuring out how to play Tunic. <laughs> and it doesn't explain itself, really. Like, it it sort of vaguely gestures in the direction of what you're supposed to do, as a lot of older games in the sort of top-down kind of uh, action game era did. And the game is definitely unfair. Like, the game pulls tricks that, frankly, if you haven't... Like, if you have not beaten a 2D Zelda game, I don't actually think you should play Tunic. Because Tunic is a game that expects you to know the genre conventions, and it kind of plays with them a little bit to, to mess with the player. And the reason it's doing this is because if you're someone like me who's played a bunch of 2D Zelda games... If I go in and play a 2D Zelda game, I already know exactly what to do. I'm not confused. But because of that, there's something missing there, right? Like the first time I played A Link to the Past, I just sort of like roamed the overworld many times with unclear directions, not quite sure of what to do. And that's not going to happen to me anymore because I know exactly how the formula of a Zelda game works. But it happened to me in Tunic. Right? And so Tunic is basically trying to rekindle the feeling of, oh god, I have no idea where to go in this Zelda game. Basically. Like, that, that's what I would describe it as trying to do. And it's really going hard on that sort of, like, nostalgia for a time when you didn't understand the game mechanics. Mm -hmm. and, and it's going for that, like, enjoyment of the discovery of how to play this game and what this game is doing. And that is going to be incredibly frustrating and frankly, like not fun for someone who is not like well-versed in the particular niche that this game is in. Also, the boss fights are ridiculously tough. Hmm. Like ridiculous. Um, there's some of the bosses are unfair and there's one, there's one boss in particular I probably died to a dozen times before I figured out what I was supposed to do. And I mean, that's, it's, again, it's kind of, it's fun in a particular way. And it's not going to be for everyone. So I give Tunic like a big thumbs up if you really loved old school Zelda games and think that like newer school Zelda games are a bit too straightforward. Right. Like that, that's who this game is for. And I think that this game got, like, huge hype in the gaming press. And the reason it got huge hype in the gaming press is because the people who write the gaming press are exactly in this, like, the target audience for Tunic. Yeah, people who play arguably too many games. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, people who have played way too many video games for way too many years and know all of the genre conventions and tricks and, like, exactly how to look at 
like a tiny like few pixels of slightly different level geometry and know there's something in there. I need to go there. Yeah. And that's what this game does, right? This game has tons of hidden secrets all over the place, many of which are mandatory to actually continue in the game. And if you are not good at finding them, you're just going to get stuck and it's just going to be annoying. But if you are good at like recognizing those things, it's an incredibly rewarding game to play. So I, I, I give it a big thumbs up with the sort of caveat that other people are going to think that this is a terrible game and they won't understand why anyone likes it. Fair enough. Yeah, I've, I've been like half me to play it, half not, uh, just because of that, you know, like discovery aspect that sounds super interesting. But yeah, I don't think I'm going to play it just because I've got too much stuff on my plate. But yeah, it's, it's a, it's a very unique uh, game, I think. Yeah, definitely. It's also a bit freeform in that there are um, some major quote-unquote dungeons. They're not really marked as dungeons or identified as such, but they, they definitely are uh, in the sense of a Zelda game. And they can be, I think, done in any order. Although it's kind of hard to tell. <laughs> I'd have to probably replay the game a couple times to really get that, figure out that, like, for sure. But um, hilariously, uh, I think I actually beat most of the game without a single ranged item, and there are actually quite a few. Oh. oh. <laughs> and it was funny because I was like, man, this game doesn't have, like, any ranged equipment. I'm like, Zelda games usually do. I'm surprised. And then I'm like near the end and I'm like, wait, I'm getting all these ranged items all of a sudden. What the heck's going on? <laughs> and some of them I realized I could have gotten way sooner and was probably supposed to. But you, again, you know, that, that's kind of one of the things that you get with a game that you can complete in a variety of uh, sequences is that sometimes some players just have like a strange experience where they don't have something that they probably should but you can beat the game without having those particular items at those particular times. It just makes it more difficult. Yeah, that's cool. I'm, I'm actually, like, I'm, I have an idea. I actually have an idea for, like, a tunic run. And I'll just spoil this one item because it's literally the very first item you pick up. And you pick it up right at the beginning. It's a stick. So your first weapon, it's just a stick. P a piece of branch, right? It's not a good weapon. But I, I think you can beat the whole game with no actual combat weapon other than the stick. It would just be very difficult. I'm tempted to try that. All right, you got to create a new speedrun category for tunic stick percent. Stick percent, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's about the only thing I'll say like concrete about the game though, just because like the exploratory and discovery aspect of the game, figuring out how the game works, really is kind of a big part of the game. Yeah makes the game extremely difficult to talk about. It does, yeah. But at the same time, that if you're playing it at the same time as somebody else and you, could, you can't go like, oh, did you do this? Oh, did you do that? And people might be like, no way, you can do that? I had no fucking idea. Yeah. Another thing I'll say about Tunic is that if you're the kind of player that gets frustrated with the game and then goes and looks stuff up on Wiki, um, it's probably not like a game you're going to enjoy. 
to be honest, because that's not really what the game, that's not really in the spirit of what the game is trying to do. Like, if you just look everything up on Wiki, the game's probably trivial. I mean, yeah, like, we, we looked up some of the speedrun percent uh, times, and they're just, like, 20 minutes or whatever. Yeah. And like, so, like, insanely short. But the, the meat of the game is finding out shut stuff. Yeah. It's a game that, like, reveals itself to you in cryptic pieces. Small cryptic pieces, one at a time. Like I said, one of the major mechanics of the game, and again, this isn't really a spoiler, because, like, literally it happens right at the beginning, is that you find pages of the instruction manual that tell you how to play the game throughout the game. And I realized that I missed some pages, like, right at the beginning that were actually, like, sort of not... They're not, like, critical, but, like, they definitely would have helped me helped me kind of progress a little bit if I hadn't missed them. <laughs> so it's... Yeah. Like, it's not a game that I think um, you would enjoy if your first instinct upon getting stuck is to look things up on Wiki. There's some games where that's totally appropriate. Dwarf Fortress? Don't. Yep, perfect. Don't. <laughs> like, do not play Dwarf Fortress without, like, the wiki at hand. And probably a tutorial. Because <laughs> that game is not about... That game, like, just, like, knowing stuff is, like, you need to... Like, there's just too many mechanics. Like, anyway. So, yeah, that's kind of uh, some thoughts on Tunic. I really like it. Recommend it if you're in that particular audience. Nice. Of people who played too many games, Zelda games in particular. <laughs> and probably and maybe Dark Souls, I don't know. I haven't really played much Dark Souls, and I don't think that knowing Dark Souls is actually necessary at all. But I think having played some Zelda games is necessary to appreciate Tunic, like the 2D ones in particular, because mm -hmm. it, it cribs pretty hard from those uh, genre conventions. All right. So, uh, Matt, what you been playing? Uh, I've been playing a couple things. Uh, I did a replay of Legends Arceus. Mm -hmm. um, all for one Pokemon for my living decks. Oh, wow. What? Uh, it, it, it's a new legendary that they had added, and it has two forms. And I go all out with my living decks in that if I can have both forms in the living decks, I will. <laughs> so I had to do a full replay of that just to get... Um, a second of that legendary. Oh, wow. And I gotta say, that game doesn't have much replayability-wise. Um, yeah, it's pretty empty, eh? Yeah, uh, and on replay, like, when you're not, like, worried about catching, like, a bunch of stuff and just filling out the Pokedex and everything, it's just it's not good on replay. Yeah, like, it's it's got a big... It's got a big kind of open world but there's nothing really in the open world other than this particular pokemon lives in this particular area of this particular map that's that's like really all there is in the in the overworld yeah well yeah and well yeah and so if you're playing the game through the first time and you want to collect a bunch of pokemon that works fine but yeah, yeah. playing it again it's just like that's not great and, and like for a traditional pokemon game that's more focused on the battling like replaying the game with a completely different team there's value in that yeah and that, that's actually something i tried to do in this i played with a team of mostly pokemon i haven't used before um well aside from my starter which i went with uh Rallet, um 
but I, I used some other Pokemon I hadn't used before, like uh, Rapidash. Uh, oh, did you use the shiny Rapidash? Yes. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, I, I've got the shiny Rapidash on my team. I haven't uh, finished Arceus. <laughs> <laughs> um, I used a Probopass. Um, uh, I used the uh, Hisuian Zoroark, which I really like the typing on that of Ghost Normal. It's yeah, only weak, it's only weak to dark and it's resist it, it just there's three types that just do nothing to it I think yeah yeah I, I whenever I replay I always like trying using Pokemon I haven't used before mm-hmm. um, but yeah uh, so aside from that um, I started Final Fantasy VII remake oh wow nice um, part uh, one. Yes, part one. Um, How many parts is it going to have anyway? Do we actually know? I think three. Yeah, I think three. I I, I don't know that they've confirmed it, but I... Oh, no, I think three might be right. Yeah. Oh, that means means the stopping points aren't going to be the same as the the disc switch out. Well, they're not going to be the same. Well, Final Fantasy VII had three discs. Oh, it did. It did. Uh, eight. Eight had four discs. Okay. I, for uh, some reason, I thought seven only had two discs. Oh well, the thi- that's the thing. Seven kind of only had two discs because the last disc was mainly like some of the end game. I think it was mainly like some of the end game, like side quests and like the last dungeon. Like there wasn't actually that much on the final disc, but so I don't know. Yeah, I, I haven't played too much of it yet. But uh, I, I it, it's a nice looking game. It, it looks great, um, and I'm really enjoying the combat so far. Um, I like being able to switch and play as the other members in your uh, party, um, which is which is something I thought that the uh, Square Enix Guardians of the Galaxy game was really missing. The fact that it locked you into only Star Lord, mm-hmm. and that you couldn't switch and play as the other guardians, I thought that was a bit of a letdown. But uh, it's called Guardians of the Galaxy, not <laughs> Guardian of the Galaxy. But yeah, being able to s- switch and play as the other characters is uh, nice. So far, I've only been able to play as a little bit of Barrett and Tifa, aside from Cloud. Um, well, Tifa's always relevant. <laughs> Uh, especially in Italy. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I like the combat. It's uh, it, it's pretty simple. You only have one attack button, really. X. Mm-hmm. Or, well, that's a, that I'm playing on a Xbox controller, but um, you do is have... The, is the PS4 and the Xbox controller X the same? No. Missed opportunity. Play, well, PlayStation PS4... X is A. No, PlayStation X is cross. Or right. They're very particular about that. Yeah, they are. Um, Did they get sued or something? They've trademarked that collection of, of shapes, I'm pretty sure. That's ridiculous. But, uh, but the, uh, the combat, I, it does something that I like. When you uh, bring up your menu to cast any spells or abilities... Um, the game slows down a lot, which is something I struggled with a lot when I was playing the only Kingdom Hearts game I've played, Kingdom Hearts 1. Um, I, I have a hard time balancing combat while also trying to navigate the menus for spells while 
battle's still going on. Yeah, well, it's all real time. <laughs> yeah. So the slowdown uh, is really nice for me. It it it's uh, it helps me out. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll go more into go more into it when I finish it. Um, although I don't know how much into it I'll go because I I know you you want to play it, Santo. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but it's Final Fantasy VII. You've played Final Fantasy VII. Well, they've made some changes. I know that much. Yes, they have. and I still don't know when. Uh, remake part one ends like what point in the story it ends at so I, that's something I don't want to know until I play it right. because I I don't want to see it coming mm. right because I, I know all the story beats so if I know okay this specific story beat is when the game ends I'll know exactly how far I am through the in the entire game yeah and that's uh, yeah. I'd, I'd rather that just be a surprise mostly so I can probably get angry at it <laughs> So it's okay, you know. Just don't level Aerith. Or Aeris. I still don't know which it's supposed to be. It's whatever. It's whatever. Doesn't matter. But as someone who's only played a bit of, uh, or well, I guess 20 hours in a bit of Final Fantasy VII, I, I am enjoying remakes so far. Nice. I mean, I didn't actually finish Final Fantasy VII. I played a lot. I did not finish it because that game's just so long. I finished it not too long after it came out, and then I finished it like a couple years ago. <laughs> Play through it again. I got to uh... listen. I I got to the best. I got to the best scene, which is where Cloud has to dress as a girl to like <laughs> you know infiltrate the hideout. I got to where the uh, world opens up, um, and I wanted to explore, but I accidentally explored into the plot, and the next thing I knew, I was on, like, a boat or an airship going across the ocean. <laughs> ah, the boat, yep. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, aside from that, uh, something I actually finished is I played Quantum Break. Oh, wow, okay. Oh, shit. Um, which... I, that is on my, that's on my, like, I think I literally have that downloaded on my desktop, and it's in my Steam Want to Play folder. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I got it recently from the uh, the Humble Ukraine Relief Bundle. Um, it's been in a lot of Humble Bundles. Uh, so it's it's a it's a basic uh, third person cover shooter, um, and it's by the uh, it's made by the uh, people behind Alan Wake and Control. Yeah. Remedy. Um, and you have. Alan Wake's another game I have downloaded that I meant to play. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I also have Control downloaded yeah. waiting to play. Same. I also have That's Control that. downloaded waiting to play. Same. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, simple it's third person cover shooter with time, time based abilities. Um, and it does something that I actually found pretty interesting. Um, at the end of each act, you make a choice, and that choice kind of affects how... I'm not sure how much it affects it, because I only did one playthrough. I'm, I'm tempted to do another playthrough choosing the opposite choices, but uh, from my understanding, it only really affects little aspects of the act to come. Mm -hmm. But after you complete each act and you make that choice... You then get a full 22-minute live-action episode mm -hmm. that plays um, between the acts. And uh, 
Which is why the characters in the game are actually based on the actors that they cast for the the little show in between. Um, and it, it's it was pretty interesting. I uh, I like uh, I I liked uh, seeing that it's never really been done before in a game. Weren't they trying to do something similar with Alan Wake? Alan Wake had like an in-universe TV show. Yeah, yeah, it was something like that. But like this isn't like an in, like this is like direct in Quantum Break is directly related to like the story of the game you're playing, right? Yeah, it's not like some um, fictional like in universe thing. It's you know now the character you, plot. The character you play doesn't really sh- play as doesn't really show up too much in those live action episodes. It's mostly some side characters that don't really show up in the game, like showing what's going on aside from the plot you're playing through right, right. um so it, it helps to expand out what's happening uh some more so so the game can it, it consists of five acts so you have four of those episodes throughout the uh the game but the and i guess we could come back to this a little later the the kind of disappointing thing is your choices there's only one static end there's only one ending hmm so the choices oh. you make only really affect how the act to come plays out a bit, but it doesn't affect the ending of the game. And triangle strategy vibes over here again. Uh, <laughs> triangle strategy had four distinct endings, though. But, yeah, no, for being a... Uh, it was, it was an interesting play, just some fun time-based abilities, like uh, you can freeze enemies, or you can bring up a bubble around yourself that'll just stop bullets or slow down bullets in their track um, and you can heal in the bubble mm-hmm. um, yeah uh, quantum break it was a it was at least a fun playthrough uh, one time anyways I it's been a while since I played any like third person cover shooters right yeah probably since uh or the last Gears of War I played. Yeah, that, and that would have been Judgment through. on the 360. Oh, you you actually played Judgment? Yeah. <laughs> the Adventures of Baird? Yep. <laughs> I, uh, I do still at one point want to check out 4 and 5 on PC. Yeah. We should play that co-op. That, that, would, be, that would be interesting. Yeah. But yeah, um, I, I do still want to check out uh, Remedy's other games, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we've been all meaning to play Control. <laughs> yeah. We've we've like, got to install. I, I finally have, you know, a computer that's capable of playing it well. So, because from what I've heard, that game isn't the... It, it's a gorgeous looking game, but it's not the most optimized. Ah. Actually, that that, that is one thing about uh, Quantum Break is being a... It was an early Xbox One title. Yeah. Um, and launched on PC at the same time, too. Uh, but the game's capped at 60. And there's some sections where it it drops to 30. Mm. Even even on, like, a good modern PC. It's, uh, it, it's a little jarring sometimes, but... Yeah. That was before the glory days of the PC port. Yep. Now everyone's pointing stuff to PC. Mm-hmm. Even Sony. Ah, uh, the Xbox and PlayStation are just, they're basically PCs with a custom OS now anyway. Yep. 
Uh, yeah. Uh, what about you, Santo? What have you been playing? I've been playing the hottest sequel. Oh, the Caligula Effect Overdose 2? Just Caligula Effect 2, because Caligula Effect Overdose was a re-release of the original Caligula Effect. Yeah, this came out on October, and I just got around to playing it now. <laughs> I, listen, we're, we're catching up, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when we started this podcast, we were talking about, like, 20-year-old games. Yeah. Now so, it's only, like, like, six months. The backlog is Eight bottomless. Months. Yeah. By next year, by next year, we're going to be talking about games that came out like three months after the episode aired. <laughs> this is why our games of the year aren't limited to just things that came out that year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Game of the year, game of the year twenty twenty three. It's going to have twenty twenty four releases. Yeah, early access, baby. That's right. So, the Caligula Effect two is basically just a retread of the Caligula Effect one that takes place afterwards. It's essentially the exact same setup of there's a there's a Vocaloid creates this weird like other pocket dimension where people who are having problems in the real world get sent to and they don't realize they're there. But then your crew does realize they're there, thinks, I mean, yeah, we got our issues, but this is bullshit. Let's get the fuck home. And through the help of a friendly Vocaloid, you go through a bunch of dungeons that are just, you know, normal places in the world. Like, you're not going into, like, a cave or some crazy castle. You're going into the planetarium and the mall. Yeah. <laughs> Those are your dungeons. And, uh, yeah, so... I mean, everyone knows the mall is a dangerous and scary place. Especially depending on which mall you go to. Uh, we'll be going to a mall after this for one... Dinner. 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 Yeah. Great. Now I'm going to have to release this at, like, afternoonish time so that, like, people listening can be fully immersed in how we're talking about stuff around it's us. It's currently 4.23 p.m. Son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm going to have to time this, aren't I? But what if you... What, but what if they're listening to it at 4 in the morning like a madman? Oh, shit. All right. I'm going to have to, like... Okay, we somehow it. figure out a way for when they play it, somehow inject like a 4:20 p.m. <laughs> like thing in, in the middle there. Okay, let's hack. Let's hack the web servers that host our podcast just to fix our podcast to be dynamically have dynamic audio <laughs> synced to the user. It'll be like that Lady Gaga song that mentions a different state depending on where it was played on the radio. Oh God, <laughs> I didn't know about that. <laughs> uh but, so yeah, so the Vocaloid that's on your team is like the, what, what was supposed to be like the next released Vocaloid from the company that made the, the, the one that caused all the problems in the first game. And she's pissed because that company got so much bad publicity after the events of the first game that she got cancelled. <laughs> so oh. she was never going to be released to the public. So now she's like, what the fuck, this, this is bullshit. This other Vocaloid is going to create an even like a worse environment. People are going to think this whole thing's happening again because of me. So we got we got to stop this. Uh, Modern commentary on cancel culture or something. I uh, no. <laughs> so it's yeah, it's pretty much exactly a, a retread in terms of um, the gameplay of it. I'll start with what they changed that was that is good. So they added an actual quest log to the damn game, 
which they didn't have before despite having like 400 quests in the game. Wow. Wow. They just had this web that you had to horribly navigate to try and find stuff. Oh, yeah. I remember pictures of that web. Yeah. Like, uh, that's cool, but it's not useful if it also yeah. contains all of the, like, you know, already completed quests and stuff yeah. and no ordering. Were mm-hmm. there any quests on the dark web? Uh, n- no. <laughs> Everything was pretty on the up and up. If you think about it, the characters are in secret, like, e-prisons, so the entire game is on the dark web. Yeah, they're on the they're on some co- some company's intranet. You need a VPN to get in. Uh, so that that's good that they... All right, we're, we're taking, you know, modern game... Well, not even modern game design, like, PS2-level game design and adding it into this game. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, they did add, like, they, the PS2 version of Quest System because, like... There's all, most of the quests, like, they don't have, like, markers on the map to, like, say... So it just says, like, oh, this is the, like, area that they're in, but you still have to go and find the actual NPC. There's no markers there. This game has, like, the opposite effect of open-world games that have icon barf and that there's not enough icons. Oh, man. And... Okay, so is it... It, w- it sounds like this is the best PS2 game released this year. I mean, yes, actually. There's a lot about this game that feels like a PS2 game. And I kind of like... The first game, I gave it a little bit of a pass because that was a Vita game, so I kind of expected it to be like like that. But this game was released on PS4 and Switch, so there's a few things that go on with this game that I think are unforgivable. Like the load times. The load times are awful. And it's an Unreal game, so there's a bunch of pop-in. and like, But like... So, like, when you travel into an area, it takes a load time that's a bit too long for my tastes. And then, like, it just, like, stutters for the first, like, five seconds that you're in that area, too. It's really bad. Well, and, I mean, are the graphics substantially different from the first game? No. Because, like, they weren't bad, but they weren't particularly... They didn't seem, like, particularly demanding. Well, no, the graphics in the first game were bad in that all, like, the three model stuff was extremely basic and copy-pasted all the ui and like character ports and stuff looked great because that's you know uh japanese ui design i think is like the best in the business like in terms of style and stuff like that like just just look at a persona game and i will i've won the argument persona 5 (laughs) fantastic looking ai or uh, ui yeah (laughs) so and and one other thing is that when you're like traveling to these different sections they show a minimap of that section, but they don't show any icons on that minimap, even of the ones that you are supposed to be able to see too, which is just, that's also very backwards game design. It's like, okay, which part of this mall am I supposed to go to to hand in this goddamn quest? It's, you have to like, me- I had to like memorize the, the uh, like names of each, the individual sections in each, the individual subsections on the map. It was kind of old, old school um the areas are still like re- really really big really really repetitive they have a bunch of npcs that you know are the quest g- givers that are just like kind of walking around but they also have a bunch of npcs that aren't that the only like thing you can tell is that they have like kind of blank blurred out faces so that it's really difficult to see sometimes okay which of the npcs are going to give me quests which aren't you have to walk up to them close enough to where they get an icon over their head uh so but i mean these these are kind of nitpicks honestly um the combat system okay it's been simplified a little bit uh previously you set up your attacks on this timeline you could set up to three at a time 
now you can only set one at a time. And one other change is that like if a, you're using attack instead of like it having a chance to all your all your hits of that attack miss or all of them hit, it's like okay, you've got you know an eighty percent chance for any individual attack in this combo to hit. So it doesn't get into the situation where you have as many like intricately planned combos that the one one of the pieces misses and then you're screwed. Where it's just like okay, I need this launcher to hit. And then I have this like three other people on my party doing sick air combos, like that's that's fixed. So the combat's a lot more streamlined. I think it's better in this game. And one thing that they did that's awesome is so in the first game when you got into combat, it ha- there was the theme of the area that you were in, and then they lay on lyrics and like additional instrumentation for when you're in fights, and they set a circular um, like wall around the arena that you're in that's actually playing like a music video that's synced up to the uh song so the battles look really really cool yeah that sounds cool like it's 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 awesome to just be like trying to set up these combos and beat up these like weird corrupted people while statues of david are falling in the background (laughs) (laughs) it's like all this vaporwave shit let's go uh so the music uh the music was the most disappointing part of the game for me. And it's not because the music's bad. The music's actually good. But the problem is that the first game has one of my favorite soundtracks of any game. So I had extremely high expectations for this one. And it just... The music doesn't go as hard, unfortunately. Do you and have someone else doing the music? So... Or... So, the, yeah, it had different, different vocals and... Um, Every song in both the games that are like the main uh, character and area themes um, are each of them were composed by different people in both mm. games. So like they got like you know twelve uh, Vocaloid composers each doing with one track. Uh, so like it's and and that's the thing is that in the first game the music was like very very varied. In a, in a lot of cases. In this one, it's not as varied. There's remixes for the bosses that aren't... that are mostly just, like, a little bit more high-energy and synthy than the original tracks. They're not as... Uh, they don't explore as many genres, so that was a bit disappointing. Um, but my real problem with the game, and I, I don't actually think this is a game worth playing. I didn't... Like, it wasn't worth my time to play. Uh, is that it didn't have my favorite thing my favorite story thing from the first game, which is in the first game, there was like a like pseudo villain route where you uh, like kind of infiltrated all the enemies that you were enemy characters that you were fighting against. And you kind of got to hear their stories and find out why they were there and why they don't want to go back. And it's one thing for like you exploring um, the relationships between your own party where you all have the same goal in mind. So it's like, okay, yes, this person has this trauma that was in the real world that they're escaping here and like them coming to terms with it and dealing with it. But for the villains, it's like a lot of the time, like they will come to terms with it. Sure. But they still would prefer to be in this, you know, idealized world rather than where they, rather than the real world. So like that's, it was interesting to have that duality in the first game that it just doesn't exist here. And as well, because it doesn't have that kind of like villain route thing, uh, the game has a 
less content than the than the first than the overdose version. I should say they, the overdose version is what's added that villain route. It wasn't existing in the first version of the first game. Uh, so yeah, if overall the game's a bit middling. Uh, it doesn't have as much of an identity. It's not as polished as it really should be. Uh, there's like there's even like a lot of animate character animations that are from the first game, which was originally released on the Vita. It's like come on, this is like. I don't know, like six years later on like a completely new platform, like this like they should have put more effort into it. It still feels it feels more budget than it should. And oh, I have one big rant I gotta do. Okay. So I play this on PS4. I didn't play it on Switch. And the PS4 is a terrible console. It's so bad. <laughs> because they have this function that is really, really good which is the ability to record footage where you press a button and it'll record the last half hour or whatever you set it in the console to do. And even though that doesn't work all the time, it's still a great function to have so that you can capture just dumb stuff that happens in your game, like yep. dumb physics stuff and then you can post online and everybody can laugh at it. It's great. Yeah. But one thing that they do is that they allow developers to set sections of their game where you can't record footage. And it pops up a thing in the corner that says footage recording blocked. So obviously the only time they're going to do that is when big important story stuff is happening. So you get spoiled that like a big thing's going to happen in this like cutscene that you, you don't think that anything like monumental is going to happen. But then it's like, nope, blocked. Yeah, like I, I think the entirety of Persona 5 was blocked. Yeah. And it's not just for those recordings like. Uh, back at the time when I was playing Persona 5, like, I'd be in PlayStation parties with friends, and you can, like, stream the game for friends in the party to watch. The stream's blocked, too. What? Yeah, it's, it's, comple it's completely ridiculous. Like, public exhibition is such a weird thing, because there have been, like, you know, with movies and music, there have already been explicit, um, like, laws and stuff against that. But video games kind of got to a point where they never really had that imposed on them and then streaming got very big and so now like companies are like trying to fight against that in a way that feels like you know it's corporations so it's it, feel, it, it feels really shitty actually a little aside from this i remember in in an earlier episode i can't remember what we were talking about i did i did say there is that japan doesn't have copyright law i misspoke there i meant to say fair use isn't a thing in japan Oh, they yeah. have copyright law, but fair use is not yeah, a thing. No, their their copyright law is actually even more strict. Yeah. than uh, you know what we'd be more familiar with in the, you know English speaking countries. Yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, it, it. It it frustrated me and took me out of the game where I like I wasn't even all that into the game, so I didn't I didn't need to be taken out even further there. Um, I mean, overall, it sounds like kind of a disappointment that it's basically it's adding nothing new there was a couple small quality of life tweaks but then the actual core stuff was kind of worse yeah like this is a better playing game but it's a less interesting game which is frustrating so like if somebody said like oh which one you would recommend i just say neither <laughs> play something else this is better it, use better use of your time is it the same player character or is it like a new cast it's a new cast well, the uh, other thing I remember that you were raving about with the Caligula effect overdose was really sort of just like the writing. 
So mm -hmm. how do you think the writing compares? Is that also just sort of worse and middling or? Uh, so like the, some of the characters are written fairly well, but there are other characters that, I mean, I don't know if this is, is a writing problem more than just like a design problem, but like some of the, your player characters are not very likable at all, which is a problem. In the first mm. game, I felt like pretty much everybody was pretty likable. Uh, except for the one person that explicitly was very much meant not to be likable. Uh, but in this game, there's like a couple that are just like, you fucking suck. Like, come on. Like, one of them is like, in the real world, they're a member of like the intellectual elite. Like, they're a prodigy or whatever, a savant. Okay. And they just like kind of lord that over everybody and like talk down to everybody in your party. And it's just like, come the fuck on. We're trying to accomplish the same thing here. Can you fucking cool it for like a millisecond? Uh, and then there's one other character in your party that, like, is, like, seconds away from being an incel. Like, he sucks. He's just, like, constantly... He's constantly just, like, hitting on every woman he sees, but is also constantly super angry. And, like, ah. and like the, his character arc that you go through, like, there's, like, character stories, kind of like the social links in Persona, uh, where, like, you kind of... You kind of just have to, like, go go with it a little bit, or you kind of just have to, like like compliment him and pump pump his like ego up a little bit to actually get through it because if you choose the wrong options it like you fail it which is actually pretty stupid but there's a couple characters that's really that are, that are really good like one of the characters in your party we'll just spoil this now in the real world like everybody in your party is you know high school student in the real world this lady is 86 years old <laughs> and so like they do a lot of little things with that where how she's completely like tech illiterate it's a 500 year old demon okay <laughs> but like so like you and your party communicate with smartphones and through this uh thing called wire which is kind of a funny play online which is a big messaging service in japan and so like her icon for it is like a picture of her but super blurry and she also, like, ends every, like, text that she sends to the group with her name. <laughs> <laughs> and there's one amazing line in the game where one of the villains that you fight is named, uh, hashtag QP. And at one point in, in the game, she's, she's just like, yeah, I don't know about this pound, Q, pound sign QP person. I'm like, oh my god, that's so perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, yeah, there's... And like the the vocaloid that's on on your team, uh, Key, the Greek character for Key, obvious the Greek X character, obviously. Oh, Kai. Uh, key. We're talking about the X looking thing, right? Yeah, it it was pronounced Key the entire game, so, and they make a bunch of key puns with it too. Uh, they do the same thing in Kingdom Hearts, so okay. That's I, two. I got two games to your uh, probably accurate. Historical representation. Does, does the game have a... I'm basing it off scientific use, not, like, historical use. <laughs> Did the game have an English dub, or was it Japanese with English full, text? Full Japanese with English text. It, it could very much be a uh, the Japanese pr uh, pronunciation of it. Oh, yeah, that might be. Yeah, and that's, an that's another thing, is that there's there's portions in... Like, in combat, there's no subtitles for, like, the quips that people are doing in combat, which, so, that's... I, that's that annoying. bothers me. Yeah. <laughs> not knowing what's being said. Bla Blaze Blue is not the same when there's only a Japanese option, and you don't know what's being said at the start of the match. I know, uh, right? <laughs> uh, can't believe they remember that. Whatever. Uh, so, the last thing I'll talk about 
because I'm the master of the segue, is the ending. So this game, it's got a you know a true ending and a bad ending, just like the first game, and the true ending is terrible because it you kind of just like you do the thing. There's a twist. You beat the final boss. Credits, and then you get a little post game thing where they're like chatting a little bit in, in the real world over over their over their phones. You just see like a phone interface of the uh, of the chat. And so there's no like for a game that is all about these two worlds and how people are different between the two worlds, you don't actually get to see the people how, how they are in the real world. And there's like extremely little closure there, which is like closure's everything in an ending in my opinion. So that's that sucked. The bad ending though was awesome. The bad <laughs> ending was really really good because it gets to a point where you have the option, like the, the option which gets you the true ending versus the bad ending uh, is the option where you, 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 you're like, there's this person and it's like, if you kill this person, you will be able to escape to the real world. And you're like, okay, do we take the easy way out and kill them? Or do we try to find another way? And so the bad ending is taking the easy way out. And in doing that, turns out the person that you're killing killing is a character from is actually a character from the first game who like uh doesn't remember anything from the first game and when you try and kill them they remember uh from the first game and they were one of the villains in the first game so they get pissed at that's what's going on and then you get into a couple boss fights and their character theme comes back with like a new version and, a, and then another new remix of it and so that was like the one time of the game that I was super fucking hyped when that happened. I'm like, oh shit, that's an amazing twist that like I'm I'm like glad I did this. Uh yeah, so, that sounds like that sounds like a cool twist, a cool callback to the first game. Yeah, because which like, you are spoiling because this game is of course not worth playing. Yeah. Uh and as we get into talking about, you know, game endings, there's gonna be spoilers. So I mean we'll try to like mention, okay, this is the game. That we're gonna talk about. So if there's a game that you you know don't want the ending spoiled, uh, that we're gonna we're gonna that we're gonna talk about here. Maybe you know. <laughs> pause the game. Go play. Pause the pod, Pause the podcast. Go play through that game. Then come back and listen. And then you can hear our thoughts. So uh, there's there's a bunch of different like ways to end a game. Uh, I think like even in these just like overarching types of ending a game, I think some are just categorically worse than others my my least favorite gameplay trope is push button receive ending where like you get to the end of the game and you have like a choice that determines your ending that might be like slightly based you might have like more options depending on how you played the game but still generally like you press button receive ending like um the uh deus ex reboot did this uh where you got to the end and you basically had like you know three or four different like you I think you actually literally had like three buttons that you could press or you could just leave and those were the different endings. <laughs> and it's like that's that's so lazy. And yeah. Isn't it the same for like Mass Effect 3 as well? Yes. Where you literally get to a screen where it's just like it shows you boom 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 endings. That's I mean like, to be fair that that honestly that sort of feels like Mass Effect in a nutshell. Yeah, like this is this is pretty popular in games where they attempt to have like player choice throughout the entire game 
but they don't have the uh, balls to be able to lock you into an ending based on your choices. They still let you choose at the end, like, here's a few different options on how the game ends, which one do you want? Which is... I'd rather be locked in, face the consequences of my actions. Exactly. Alex I mean, mentioned this when we were talking about Triangle Strategy, where like a game that actually locked you in to stuff, how you played the game, people would fucking hate it. A lot of people, because yeah. if they got like an ending that they didn't want. I mean, this is one of those things where I think visual novels as a genre generally actually kind of do it write more consistently Mm -hmm. when they have branching path when they have multiple endings it's usually usually it's locked in fairly early on and i mean there's some visual novels where even like a seemingly inconsequential early decision locks you into like a certain ending yeah or a certain path yeah that maybe even has other endings right of course partly that's particular to that sort of genre where they can get away with a massive amount of asset reuse and either just basic VO or text even to like you know put the story together so it's easier yeah they, they don't have to come up with like a entirely different like set piece for like with like a bunch of like a huge big cut scene with like an original yeah. level assets for uh, the, the ending they can you know present it through the same engine maybe you know with some like still images and stuff yeah like like, and like i definitely understand from the sort of development aspect and cost aspect of why a lot of games you know shy away from that but when the game does have these multiple sort of options and paths and they're putting the money into the like asset creation especially in something like you know say a mass effect Mm -hmm. or a duet a Duet, Deus Ex. Deus, Deus Ex. <laughs> um, like, these are big budget games. Like, you can do it. You have the resources. You were just, you were just cowards. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, Elden Ring um, has six different endings. Two of them are unique. And three of them are just a slight variation on your basic you beat the game ending. Mm-hmm. As 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 uh, as as always, Elden Ring coming in to just shit over every other AAA game in the last like five years. Yeah. Um, the only game that hyped that's actually lived up. <laughs> I actually not without its problems, but yeah. And like Triangle Strategy was also like a push button receive ending kind of thing. But something that I completely missed my mind when I was talking about that game, which I cannot believe I forgot to mention, was like how like the decisions actually happen in this game this game because you don't just like the major decisions that like branch the plot you don't just choose them from a menu you have all the members of your party predisposed to various options that you have in front of you and you have to convince them through dialogue of which way they want to vote and then depending on how you are able to convince them and how many you're able to convince that will determine where you go to i did get into a situation triangle strategy where i wanted to go in one path, but I wasn't able to convince everybody to go that path, so I had to go a different path. And I didn't reload my save. I was like, okay, this is how it happened, let's go. Yeah, and I mean, and that's cool. And especially with the way that sort of the turn-based strategy 
like I'm thinking Fire Emblem. Like there's definitely a lot of these. I don't know. Are these like on field conversations, like support conversations? No. Okay. Because that would be that would be like that'd be the way to really like bring that all the way. Is like oh, you have to like make support conversations in a battle that affect your route. That would be like in, that would be incredible, frankly. <laughs> uh, but like, and your your. Um actions and triangle strategy when you're in like the little like town exploration kind of phase of the game where you're talking to people and like giving them answers that change like your conviction levels or whatever that you're again not able to see which is a very good game design uh not sarcastic sarcastic that's actually really good uh like at the end of the game you might not actually be able to convince people uh to go the route you want so like that like by the time I was I got there, I was able to convince everybody to go the route I wanted to for the most part. So like I have a feeling that that probably won't happen unless you really go ham on one route and then change your mind at the very end. <laughs> uh, but that is like an interesting thing that could potentially happen where your actions throughout the game will determine what you can do at the end, even if you know you in theory have this choice it can that choice might have been taken away from you so i think that's pretty good it's kind of an interesting way to do it too to like kind of make the choices available to you dependent on what your sort of party selection and what the individual members of your party actually were doing over the course of the game mm -hmm. uh and yeah so, some uh games that do their ending based on your gameplay decisions like um one well, of my favorite games, Ogre Battle, has like 12 unique endings for the Super Nintendo, and those are directly related to certain items that you get, certain characters that you recruit, and overall, if you're a jerk or not, uh, in how you conquer uh, these different maps that you're in. And then that's like, you, you play the game, you get the ending, and there's not really an indication of why you got that ending, but that's the ending that you get. So, you know, Super Nintendo developers, not cowards. Today, everybody's trying to please everybody. Yeah, I mean, back then there was no like corporate board trying to manage their investment of millions of dollars to maximize revenue, right? Not, it was just some artists. Artists got to art. Yeah. But uh, another another game that um, I think has like great uh, game gameplay ending. Um, kind of they're linked very directly is uh papers please uh which is a game where you're a border guard for a fictional eastern european country God, and I wasn't even i'm not even sure i i didn't even know if that game had an ending i did not it's, it's got yet. multiple yeah. endings depending on like how what you do because there's a bunch of different like people that come come in that you you might you know you might want to let them in you might not want to let them in I'm gonna be honest. I did not. Stuff. I did not finish Papers, Please because I just got too incensed at the asinine bureaucracy. I I like put it down for a little bit, but I was like super late in the game where there's so much you have to keep track of that I'm like shit. I can't go back to this because I'm gonna like mess it up super hard. But that game, yeah, it's got a ton of different endings. The gameplay directly cor correlates to what ending you get, uh, and like some of them are pretty funny. <laughs> uh, there's I just I, I hate bureaucracy too much to continue playing that game. Yeah, I know. Uh, then there's like modular endings. Like this is something like Until Dawn, where like 
there's like a ton of different variables that will like influence, you know, how the ending will go and what like individual things will happen in it. Because like that game says there are technically like 265 endings or whatever for Until Dawn. What? Just, just based on who's alive at the end or not. Oh. So it gets into like combinatorics. Um, and, and even something like, you know, Fallout New Vegas, which, you know, that kind of has a, you know, kind of pick your ending, who, which faction do you side with, but it's also the ending is modular based on how many companions you got and how many, how far along did you get in their stories and some of the major side quests in the game, what are the ramifications of that? It like almost does like the animal house thing of this person went on to do this thing after the game ended. Right. Yeah. And like, that's. That's a much better way of doing it than something like Deus Ex or Mass Effect 3. I don't even, I don't like Fallout, but that's still a better way of ending the game than uh, these just like push button receive ending kind of stuff where like you actually like, okay, this is how this character did this. This is how this faction of people did that. Um, So... There's one other type of ending that I want to bring up here before I start talking about some of my favorite endings. Uh, and that's the ending left up to the player's interpretation. <laughs> so I remember in high school uh, where we were in English class and there was this one short story where it, it the entire lead up of, was like, okay, this, there's this person who's being forced to fight in this coliseum for his life because he, you know, was trying was in love with like this noble like person or whatever and like did the person survive did they go on to have a happy ending or not it wasn't even it wasn't said in the story it was left up to the the reader's interpretation that was you know a lesson in like this is how you can write a story and i remember me along with some other people in the class were pissed at that (laughs) and then it turns out then we went into like another story from that author which was the exact same thing and it's just like, no, that didn't convince me. I still think it's bullshit. Like, I am interacting with a story so that somebody can tell me a story. If somebody leaves an ending out of it and says, oh, you figure it out, that, no. I paid for a story and you, and you shortchanged me. This is like when you order delivery and they don't give you a drink. <laughs> <laughs> and like... um yeah, I just think it's a ch- like a really cheap way of ending the game. Uh, I can't think of any games that have done that well. I can only think of games that have done that poorly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I think as a tech, as a literary technique, I think that like there are there are there is a place for that, and like it can be good sometimes. But yeah, I can't say I've ever seen a video game with a sort of left-to-the-player interpretation that's particularly good. I can, think of, I can think of a few ambiguous endings where it's sort of like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Um, I, I can only think of one good instance of when this happened, and it's Cowboy Bebop. Did Spike die at the end? It's not explicitly stated. He's probably going to, but you know that is actually left up to the viewer. And then people got into a bunch of internet debates on whether or not he died at the end, and that's fine. And you know, (laughs) and I think something like Cowboy Bebop, that's a good example, right? Because it's, like, if you think about, like, Cowboy Bebop as, like, a work of art in its entirety, 
the whole thing is kind of like this melancholic, ambiguous sort of like thing. And it's like the, the themes that it has about like dealing with, you know, the past and your actions and like it like an ambiguous ending, I think, works in 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 that in, in that, you know, in that work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like. Yeah, you don't feel shortchanged because it's just like what even happened? Like, I, I'd say that like that whole even early on it's sort of like yeah like you're not it it, it is it is a like it it sort of grapples with these ambiguous themes of like were my actions actually justified yeah are these characters good people or not yeah and (laughs) so and so did he actually live or not was spike a good person or not like these are sort of like the themes that it deals with it sort of kind of mirrors the ambiguity with its ending. And I think that part of Cowboy Bebop is actually like, if you think Spike was justified in his actions, then he's supposed to live. And if you think he wasn't, he's supposed to die or something like that. Right. Yeah. That's kind of the thing that I think they were going for. That's what, yeah, that's, I think that's what they were going for as well. And I think that as an artistic technique, they've used the ambiguous ending to sort of explore the themes of the work that it kind of had throughout. Yeah. And, that's that's interesting, right? Like that's I think in that case, it works. I've never seen a video game do anything like that. Yeah, well, in a video game, the sum of your actions, like you did all those actions, there is no ambiguity there. The game knows exactly what you did the entire time you did it. Yeah. Closest, so closest uh, thing. Yeah. I mean, games in general, there have been games that try to grapple with the fact that as the player in a video game your actions are totally divorced from like your normal morality and i'm not going to say any of them have done a great job of actually exploring this idea um like there's games like hotline miami which is an ultra violence like (laughs) neon nightmare i guess and there's a part where it tries to I mean, really, the whole game is sort of trying to do this, where it's trying to be like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this with its story? But but it's still making you go through those areas and kill a bunch of people super violently. Yeah, and it forces you to do it, right? Like, it, it doesn't give you another option. And I think there's like, a, there's like an Easter egg thing where there's these two characters that, like, just mock you for it. And I'm like, well, that's ridiculous, right? I like Hotline Miami, Miami, but mostly because like the gameplay is great and the soundtrack is incredible. It's got a bumping soundtrack. I've still got to play two. Yeah, like the game is really good, and I think that actually its attempts to do this sort of like reflective, like oh the player's a bad person sort of bullshit actually is its probably worst aspect mm-hmm. um, because it doesn't it doesn't come across well at all, and it. Early on, you don't really know what it's doing with it, and it's sort of just like, you know, the the character is like sort of this ambiguous, like the character is like a weird, like awful murderer. But then, yeah, later in the game, it like tries to direct that at the player, and it's like, yeah, it doesn't really. I don't think it lands. I don't think it lands well mm-hmm. personally. Um, but you know whatever and then the only other 
another game that comes to mind for like sort of having this attempt at the sort of like video the you know questionable video game morality what have you done to the npcs and then this affects the ending and it's sort of ambiguous is like spec ops the line and, right yeah and basically it tries to say that oh you know you are an awful person you chose this you did this and i think that if you played the game in a very particular way and you're like and you didn't think about it at all and you are surprised by the ending that it can hit for some people but the game absolutely railroads you into making all of those choices and if you even think a little bit about it like it just comes off as really forced and dumb yeah. of course that game did hit that way for some people which is why people still talk about spec ops the line from time to time is that if you were just expecting a standard cod clone in the desert like no this actually tackled subjects like you know civilians <laughs> yeah yeah it tried, and stuff. yeah it did it did it did it, it did tackle the subjects of like you know civilian death and war and like these sort of ideas of just war crimes and like that they actually exist well and also that you know there's sort of it it tried to play play this sort of line of like yeah you know you did all these things because you're the you're just like playing a video game but the military does these things just as a routine anyway because you know they dehumanize their their enemies and, and whatnot and it tried to like play this and it sort of gives this it has a few different endings and at least one of them's kind of ambiguous as to whether the uh protagonist lives or dies but again it railroads you into it super hard and if you see what it's doing then it's it comes off really badly and i think that really that's just a struggle for video games trying that technique anyway and so yeah like i think from a perspective as a literary technique the ambiguous ending can work as a mirror to the sort of ambiguous ethical interpretations of the themes that a work of art explores but i've never seen a video game do that particularly well yeah i've seen you know movies and movies books and and you know tv shows they can explore it well sometimes it's still pretty rare that they do it well because it's a very difficult thing to tackle well i think in general yeah. And video games, because of the like affordances of the variety of player actions, it's way more difficult to try and tackle a subject like that using that you know sort of literary story technique in a satisfying way. And I've never seen it done well, so I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's even possible. Well, that that just means that people have to try harder. They do need to try and, harder and try yeah. more. And then may, then maybe if I'll. I'll be able to eat my words on that, but until then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, th and that's the thing, like, trying to exploit the unique, like, storytelling techniques that video games have, I still think it's not something that's really been explored particularly well. Closest thing is maybe, like, again, the sort of choose-your-own-adventure type aspect of storytelling, which probably visual novels explore the best mm -hmm. um, as, like, a... a in terms of the use of the literary devices afforded by that, but but enough but enough talk about when video games get it wrong. Let's talk a little bit about when video games get it right. So, my personal favorite um, ending in video game ending in terms of like 
how they did it mechanically is Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger is mm. amazing because what ending you get is determined by when you beat the game. Because there's so many points in that game where you can go to the final boss and complete it. You can do that almost immediately in the game, which I've, you know, there's Chrono Trigger also had New Game Plus, which let, allowed you to actually go and see that. And then there's a bunch of different, like, great comedy endings. Like, if you beat it during the specific time when you're supposed to be doing stuff in prehistory, like, it'll, it, the ending will be the opening to the, the game, but everybody's a dinosaur. Like, they're great <laughs> endings. And they're done in the, like, great, you know, like, uh, tone of that game. And as well, there's, like, certain parts of, like, the, like the proper ending that you get if you beat the game when you're supposed to beat the game, you know, at the end, that are, like, reflections on what you, uh, a few of the, uh, like, side quests and stuff that you did in the game. And that, you know, for a Super Nintendo game, again, Chrono Trigger, insanely ahead of its time, like, it's still, like the ending still does stuff that in terms of like reflecting what you did in the game that modern games still don't which should be a given at this point but yeah chrono trigger i think is one of the best examples of just mechanically uh how to do endings yeah how to do like multiple endings in particular in a way that's satisfying interesting and like actually adds something to the game mm-hmm yeah, like I, I love Chrono Trigger's endings because it's probably, I can't, I can't actually think of like many games, really any others at the moment, where you can just like go see the final boss pretty much whenever you want. From Breath of the Wild. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but like, I don't know how, how the ending to that game, I've never played it, so I don't know how that changes based on like, you know, how many, I know the final boss fight changes on some of the stuff you do in the world, but I don't know how, if the ending actually changes. Yeah, I mean, I, okay, there's definitely mo there's definitely some open world games where you can just go to the final boss, and if you cheese it, you can beat it early. But I've not played one where the ending's actually different depending on when you beat the game. Yeah, mm -hmm. Breath of the Wild does not change. It's just, if you go right to the final boss, you just have a gauntlet of all the other bosses you would have had to fight first in the dungeons. Mm. You have to fight them first before you get to uh, Ganon. Okay. Yeah, they've done that a couple times in Zelda games. I think they did the same, you know, gauntlet thing, and they definitely did it in Skyward Sword, and I feel like they did it in maybe Wind Waker too, actually. Well, I mean, the but boss, course, the boss rush before the final boss—that's an established trope. Chrono yeah. Trigger does that. <laughs> yeah, boss rush before the final boss. Yeah, it's true. Chrono Trigger does it too. So. Yeah, the boss rush before the final boss is classic. Especially because then... I, actually, you know what? Let's point that out. I like the boss rush before the final boss. Because typically, you know, late game, you know, you have all these, like, upgrades and extra powers and extra items, and you just destroy these bosses that you struggled with earlier in the game, if it's well designed. See, I don't like it when they do that. I, I, I like it when they do updated versions of the bosses you fought throughout the game. If it's the exact same, like, th that's what Chrono Trigger does, they're the exact same then like you just like you know do your one ultimate attack the boss is dead you do the windscreen and then you do like a little like loading or whatever well, not not loading but just like a little bit of time before the next one and the next one is it comes off more as tedious than a than like a super power trip like I'd, I'd rather just like new updated versions that like keep the same mechanics of those bosses but you know up their stats to a point where they're you know <laughs> a bit more 
appropriately powered for when you yeah, are ending I, the game. I, I don't I can, know. I can see that. So would, would you prefer like just a dedicated boss rush mode instead of like the boss rush in the story? Well, I mean, that depends. Like the b- boss rushes in RPGs, like they get weird because it's all numbers based. Like a boss rush in an action game, like that's that's much, much different. Yeah. I'm thinking more of action games personally. But yeah, that's that, that's fair. I've been meaning to check out a Metroid Dread's boss rush boss rush mode that they added. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to remember. I think does this, I think Cave Story does a bit of a boss rush before the final boss. Maybe not. No, it doesn't. Maybe I'm, no. You know what? I think I'm just getting confused because you face Balrog again. <laughs> yeah, but Balrog is <laughs> different every time. He, gets, he keeps getting upgraded. Anyway, um, I I like the boss rush, but. I think that you're right. Like in some games, especially in an RPG, like it shouldn't be tedious. Yeah. It should be like done if it's done in a way where it's fun because, you know, especially in an action game and you get to kind of like, oh yeah, I know how to beat this guy and then it's kind of like fast because you've done it before. If there's a couple new moves, that might be interesting. Yeah. Like the Legula Effect Overdose did that and gave you new remixes of these character themes. It was great. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So uh, Actually, another so another sort of um, way to a thing to have you know there's like just the secret ending. There's a lot of games that just have one regular ending and then one secret ending. And I gotta say, one of my favorites has to be Cave Story. Just yeah. Like you know, giving the player an alternate ending for players that have mastered the game and are really good at it and it's super challenging just as a way to kind of like, you know, test yourself. Like, I I like that. Um, Super, especially, I mean, the really, the Cave Story Secret Ending is just so cool. Mm -hmm. And so Still haven't beaten it. So challenging. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, there's lots lots of games that, lots of games that do that, you know. Sometimes it's not explicitly an ending per se, but there's just like a super hard secret boss yeah but i like that you know give the players something to kind of work towards mm-hmm. like like some rpgs like persona 4 they've got they've got your ending but then you've got the true ending yeah i mean it's pretty common in rpgs i'd, I'd say to have like a secret boss i mean my favorite rpg paper mario thousand year door it's got a secret boss mm-hmm. at the bottom of like the 200 level oh god uh, right <laughs> the 200 level like challenge mode Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty common, but I mean, it's uh, super hard secret boss is kind of a video game trope for a reason. Yep. Yeah. So, any any other endings that game endings that you guys like thought were like really interesting or did some novel things? I like what Near Automata did. Thank you. I was waiting for that. <laughs> um, I literally have it in my notes here. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, I like the way you you hit the credits, but then there's still more game. Then you hit the credits again, <laughs> and then there's still more game. <laughs> there, there's actually an ending for each letter of the alphabet. Yep, 26 endings. 22 of those are joke endings. <laughs> yep. And you can just get them, like... You can I just get it accidentally. <laughs> like there's 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 this one like chip that you have that lets you self destruct. Your OS chip. Yeah. Or, yeah. Like if you want to remove that, it'll. Because the way you <laughs> the way you uh, change up your character is like 
you have a bunch of uh, chips that you install because you're an Android. Yeah. And like, there's some in there that are like, like the OS chip is mandatory, but you can remove it. <laughs> uh, it like prompts you, "Are you sure? Are you really sure?" And then if you do, you get one of the endings. Just I got an ending just where delete, I ate... delete system thirty two. <laughs> yeah, it'll be great. I got an ending where I ate a weird fish. Yep, <laughs> the weird it... fish you got from Jackass. Yes, RM slash all. <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch of joke endings, and well, I mean the thing that Near does that's so 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 awesome is that when you the credits part of the game is like a shoot 'em up sequence. Okay. And like uh, Smash Bros. Yes. <laughs> But uh, as you're doing it, there's, like, messages that are coming across the screen and other ships join you. And those are from other players. Now, to get your ship to be in that sequence to join other players and give them a message as well, when you beat the game, you have to delete your save data. Ooh. Yeah, you have to, you know, commit to, like, okay... Th this entire game that I played that I might want to go and, you know, go go to all the other endings and whatever. No, you got to delete that. You got to commit to, you know, helping the cause. And, and it's not the first time Nier does that as well. Uh, the, the first Nier also has the save delete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so funny thing about Nier Automata is that because you get to add a message to it, uh, it, I didn't get the option to delete my save data. Because I, the message I put was uh, had some strong words in it, <laughs> so the, so it's just like, oh, hmm. If I shit talk platinum games, they're not going to give me the opportunity to delete my save and put that in the ending. Hmm. <laughs> so I actually had to play like through the ending sequence of that game like multiple times because I couldn't figure out why it wouldn't let me delete my save. <laughs> yeah, to do this. Even prior to that, I just love the whole final sequence of that game. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, like, really striking stuff. Um, yeah. So another sort of ending-type thing. There's a lot of games that, like, have an aspect of just, like, you know, 100% completion in order to sometimes get some sort of usually small special ending thing, right? Mm -hmm. Think, like... A lot of Mario games have like a secret level that you get by 100%ing the game. Or actually, yeah. some Sonic games have that as well. Yes, yeah, like no um, warps. Yeah, and like, I gotta say, if you have a game where you have like 100 hours of just tedious collectathon shit for the player, please put something small in for the player after that. There's nothing worse than spending an insane amount of time 100%ing a game with a zillion collectibles only to find out that there is literally nothing. But yeah, it doesn't have to be something big, but just, you know, put something in. If I've spent like, you know, 50 hours solely on finding all these like tedious, tiny secret things, like it's nice for there to be some small token of like, yeah, you beat it, like yeah. here. And not, and not just an achievement. Yeah, not yeah. just an achievement. Like, unique game part. <laughs> like, if if I put in the time to find all 900 Korok seeds in Breath of the Wild, I want to be rewarded with more than a golden piece of poop. <laughs> really? Yes. Wow. My god. Yeah, that, 
that's brutal. There's a reason I'm not never going to get all those seeds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, like, like a lot of the Mario games these days, like, have just like a secret secret level, and the only way you unlock it is by getting every single star or you know, every single coin or whatever. And uh, that's I like that, you know. And they're not even big, like mostly they're just like a fairly small like level takes like a couple of minutes to go through and then it's like congratulations or something like that right yeah. it's, it's not a big thing it probably took it did not take the developer a lot of development time to put that small thing in but it's really satisfying as the player to just be like yes i got everything get to go see yoshi on the roof yeah yoshi yep. on the roof exactly um, I think there was uh, one of the 3D Sonic games, I think Sonic, Advent- Sonic Adventure 2, where if you 100% the game, you get, like, Green Hill Zone huh. from Sonic 1. And, and it's, like, in, like, 2.5D or something. And you can just run through it. Did not take them very much time to put that in. No. But Level design's already done. Yeah, but that's such a, it's such a cool Easter egg for the players that are going to 100% the game. Mm-hmm. My... my- my favorite game ending, though, and this is mostly just because it's the most batshit ending I've ever seen, is uh, for 999. Nine purses, nine hours, nine doors. And I, I gotta spoil some parts of it. Y'all should go play this game because it's so goddamn good, but I, I need to talk about this. If not now, when? So... The entire game is these puzzles that you're going... Th- these puzzle rooms. It's basically like an escape room game almost. But with murder. Uh, <laughs> and so... At murder and pseudoscience. God, how, how deep do I want to go? How much time do we have? <laughs> so I'll try to be as succinct as possible while also being as crazy as possible. So the final puzzle in that game is you communicating with a past version of somebody that you know who died in the past but is communicating with you in the present through the use of something called the morphogenetic field which is some pseudoscience bullshit that yep. that's like we could, we're all communicating with each other subconsciously somehow uh yeah that's actually i think i think i've heard about that and it's really funny because it's like the guy one of the guys who like pat were Maybe the guy who patented the MRI, he, like, came up with that, I think. What? Yeah. And it's, like, really out there. It's, like... Uh, yes. <laughs> it's, like, the crystal structure of the universe, like, repeats oh, no. patterns. And every time a pattern gets repeated, it, it's easier to repeat it or something like that. And it affects all levels of everything. And it's, like, physics can rewrite itself if it accidentally rewrites itself enough times. And I'm, like... You lost me. <laughs> so yeah, like morphogenetic fields is really stupid. It's super. It's super out there. But, and it makes but, no sense. But like this game is all about all about that and how it is real and they're do, you, they're communicating with like different timelines of themselves, so that you can save the person in the past, who is a corporeal person in the present somehow, even though they're uh, dead in the past, and. So you need to communicate with them so that they can solve a puzzle so that they don't get incinerated. But they're already dead. But they're communicating with you then 
for the morphogenetic field because how you access the morphogenetic field of this game is based on how uh, much like stress and trauma you're going through at the moment. And this person is about to be incinerated, so clearly they're able to do some crazy shit. All right, then. And so you need to help them solve Sudoku. Of course. It, the game's called 999. So clearly the final puzzle has to be Sudoku. But oh my god, I fucking fell out of my chair laughing at this part because it's building up, building up, building up, building up, building up. All this crazy plot stuff and all this like super emotional, like the person's crying as they're like, I don't know how to solve this. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then they, you see the screen and it's a fucking Sudoku puzzle. <laughs> and it's like, god damn it. I know how to solve Sudoku. And it's not, and because, you know, this is a video game, it's not even a difficult Sudoku. It's mostly solved at this point. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. fucking hell. Wow. But even beyond that, like the other plot twists in the game about how that, that person that you're trying to save basically concocted the entire scenario that you're in in the present to put you through enough stress that you can communicate back in time to save them so that they can not like so that they can justify their own existence in the future sure and the whole and the whole thing in the first place the whole like experiment in the first place was to try to get kidnapped kids to access the morphogenetic field so that they a person could research it because they this this one person is trying to figure out a way that they can cure their uh prosopagnosia which is face blindness where you cannot differentiate between different people's faces and so the they're like well if this Field lets you communicate with each other subconsciously, then maybe I can use that to make other people subconsciously project their face into my brain space so that I can actually differentiate people's faces. Which is what? Which is the best motivation I've ever seen for a villain ever. <laughs> it's so out there. Like yes, let's ca- let's kidnap these nine kids and put them through life-threatening scenarios where oh shit, some them one of them actually died in the end. <laughs> Also, I can differentiate people's faces. Just because I, you know, didn't want to ask people who they were. Yep. Then you escape this boat that you think is a boat the entire time, but it was actually just a boat in the desert. It's all simulated to make you think it's a boat in the water so that you can't, like, just jump through a window. (laughs) Uh, It's about hydraulics, you know. Yeah, and 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 par- and it, parts of it start flooding. Okay, very important though. Like, how the hell did he keep the sand out? I know it's, it seems impossible. It gets everywhere. I hate sand. It's coarse, rough, and irritating. Yes. Then f- finally, once you like solve the problem, this person's justified their own existence. You escape, and then you go and pick. And then the final shot of the game is you driving down a, a desert road and you see somebody hitchhiking and the person hitchhiking is dressed up as like an Egyptian like uh, priestess or whatever and this entire game you're finding notes and like talking about this conspiracy where there was this one mummy that was perfectly preserved and didn't decompose at all because they were because they were preserved in Ice Nine. Which Ice Nine is a concept from an old, uh, from Cat's Cradle, I think. 
the Kirk Vonnegut book about this like ice that won't freeze at room temperature and whatever. Yeah. And this entire time, it's just like again, this, the thinking that the player has is that this is just more pseudoscience that they're just like bringing up because it's interesting. Well, and like the funny, you know, the funny thing there is that um, so there actually are different types of ice, and I think that at the time that that ice nine. I can't remember if it was Ice Nine or if it was a different one, but it was like an ice. There was also another sci-fi book about an ice that would actually turn other water molecules into this form of ice. Yes, that's Gas Cradle. Yeah, so it is. It is the one. Yeah, and and like basically, the problem with that is that it, you know if any living thing touches it, it just dies. Yeah. Right, and is then dead forever because it's a it's more stable. Um, now that is not how Ice Nine actually works. Uh, it was written before Ice Nine was uh, synthesized, but there is a real Ice Nine. <laughs> but Ice Nine's actually not that interesting. As it yeah. Turns out. Most of the other forms of ice are just different crystal geometries, mm-hmm. and they don't have. They do have slightly different physical properties because of the different crystal structure, but they're just really finicky, difficult things to create that only can exist in artificial lab conditions. So not in ancient Egypt. No. Right. Yeah, I believe actually the uh, standard uh, ice that everyone's familiar with is actually ice four. Ooh. I don't know why the default normal ice is ice four instead of ice one. That's... Yeah, I would have thought that people would have most been associated with ice cubed. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. I, I, well, it turns out ice ice cube is uh, you know a very modern uh, development. Didn't, didn't exist. Yeah, I mean, I, he was born in the 20th century. That's right. Yeah. What's dry ice classified as? It's not ice. It's CO2. Well, shit. <laughs> then we got ice that isn't even ice. I mean, seriously, like, <laughs> dry ice... Okay, dry ice is about as much ice uh, as that pop can. <laughs> seriously, they're both, like, solid. That's about where it ends. But it's like, oh man, let me just take a drink out of this, uh, you know, this glass, or should I say silica ice? But anyways, so this final shot of this video game that I love is, yeah, you, you find this like lady dressed up as an Egyptian priestess, like hitchhiking, like with with her, with her like thumb out and they don't explain it. That's the, that's the last shot. They don't explain what happened. So it's like the entire time you're thinking this thing is just some like weird bullshit. And then it's just like, wait, what? Who's this? What's going on here? And that person's name, they're a character in the next game. Uh, and their name is Alice. All Ice. <laughs> and they vehemently deny that that, is, that they are they are an old, that that is what happened. That like, no, that's just a rumor. This is just a coincidence. This is just how I dress. No, this is not how it is. But the entire time, it's like, are you lying? Are you act? Are you actually somehow an Egyptian pharaoh that was frozen in time and then somehow like came back in modern day and then learned how to hitchhike? Yeah, I was gonna say, did they have hitchhiking in ancient Frankly, Egypt? Frankly, makes about as much sense as uh, the morphogenetic field nonsense. Exactly, which is what, which is why I shouldn't have been surprised when that happened. It's they clearly foreshadowed it. Yeah. But yeah, that's my favorite ending because it's so bad shit. And there's a bunch of other weird, crazy stuff that I don't. We do not have time, but I do not remember well enough to get into. I mean, my honestly, my favorite game ending. The thing is, 
it doesn't do anything particularly novel in terms of the mechanics of the ending or anything like that. It's just my favorite game of all time. The ending's also great, so I love it, mm. <laughs> which is Homeworld. And it has a great ending because it's just, you know, you finish the final mission, you get a nice cutscene, and then you get credits with a banging yes song. And yes. Up, up to that point, <laughs> up to that point, like the game has incredible music, but it's all like this really sort of atmospheric kind of spacey music or this like sort of interesting sort of tribal drum heavy kind of um, rocks ish music for the battle music, stuff like that. No vocals at all. And then all of a sudden, totally left field. It just gives you this banging, th this banger prog rock song <laughs> from Yes as the credits music. And it was composed specifically for that game. Nice. And it's really good. I love that song. It's called it's called the ladder, um, but it's really unexpected actually. But it's it's so yeah. It just gives you you know a nice credits with some art. Uh, you know because the game has great concept art that they use in the cre uh, credits and cutscenes a lot. Mm -hmm. So it's I, it's just a really it's just really really great. I don't know. Just that's the thing. Sometimes. You don't need to do anything particularly fancy. You know, you just, you have the last level. You have a satisfying cutscene that explains the resolution of the story for your, uh, you know, characters. Or in that case, like, I guess there's characters kind of, but it's an RTS. So mm -hmm. it's more like the characters are more like the civilization that is, yeah, you know, recovering its glory kind of thing. And yeah, you know, just resolves the story in a nice cutscene, gives you a bang and song to end it off, and then there you go. Like, you don't need to do anything crazy. Like, if you just, you can just do a straight ending, and if your story was good up to that point, like, there's no branching paths or anything. It's just, it's just an RTS with good cutscenes, great story, and good music. It just continues that for the ending. And that's fine, and I love it. This is definitely not a nostalgia trip. Totally not. Couldn't be anything else. No, it's not. I, I didn't mention Fall Fantasy Tactics once. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, you don't have to do anything super weird and novel and interesting, I think, to have a good ending. You just have to deliver on, like, resolving the things that your narrative brought up in the game. And doing it satisfyingly. Yeah. There's not every game has to have multiple endings and like all this crazy stuff. Yeah, like getting, getting back to what I was saying about you know the ending level up to the person's interpretation. Just like, just have a story, write it well, and finish it satisfyingly. Yeah, like it's not rocket science. Like the story in Homeworld is actually incredibly basic. Um, it's really not like doing anything particularly crazy uh it's very straightforward it's just well written and well vo and the voice acting is really good and the music's really good and that's really like if you deliver on just solid fundamentals your story and story ending will be leagues above because video games frankly the, the bar is low <laughs> the bar is low for a story in video games and i think the bar is low for endings as well for the same reason basically Mm -hmm. All I really ask is a game which I can... All I really want is 
characters that I get attached to, and I'm satisfied with how it ends for them. Yeah, like they're they're you know in a better place where they from when they started and whatever. Yeah, another thing I guess we didn't really talk about was just like a final boss and like the difficulty thereof. I definitely like a final boss to be like the most difficult part of the game because I think that it should be kind of memorable. Um, and it like if if the final boss is not the most difficult boss, it's just kind of weird. It's like why was this the final boss? Well, I mean, uh, apart from obviously bonus bosses. Apart from bonus bosses, yes. Um, but so it should be the most difficult boss. Um, but I don't think like some games the final boss is like way out of proportion with the difficulty of the rest of the game, and that's not always. That's not necessarily great. If I beat the whole game and I don't die to a single boss and then the final boss I can't beat at all I feel like the difficulty curve is broken yeah just just, just like oh nice. oh this is good this is good this is good wall yep yeah I can't think of examples off the top of my head but I know there's games where I've beaten everything but the final boss because the curve's just like wrong <laughs> so yeah is that is that it yeah. Speaking of endings, let's just let's end this podcast. Let's end this podcast. If if you think this was a satisfying ending to the podcast, you can let us know at AngrySunZone at Outlook.com or leave us a message on Twitter at AngrySunZone. If you think that, you know, this is not the ending you wanted and you want more from us, you can check out our YouTube channel, AngrySunZone, and our Twitch channel as well, also AngrySunZone. Or maybe we'll leave the ending up to the interpretation of the listener, and we'll just end it right here. That was a special example of what we in the biz call the abrupt ending. Yes, but this part you're hearing right now, this was like the extra bonus content you got for 100% through the podcast. It's called a stinger in the biz.